0: Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word of the Lord. Well, again, good morning. We're glad you're here. We're concluding, as I mentioned, this six-week teaching series that we've been looking at together called A Rule of Life by considering today the practice, the spiritual practice of fasting. And let me tell you at the outset that I am not an expert faster. I feel somewhat hypocritical even teaching on it because it's something that I have struggled with throughout my life. But I do think it's valuable and important for us to focus on it as a part of this series. So what is fasting? Fasting is The practice of voluntarily refraining from food for an extended period of time for spiritual purposes. Fasting is arguably the most neglected spiritual practice, as I can attest from personal experience, in the modern Western church. It's basically disappeared from Christian spirituality, at least in our part of the world. In fact, I think that you're more likely to hear about fasting from a fitness coach or a wellness guru or a Muslim than from a Christian. So, is fasting important? Yes. Yes. Uh, Notice what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, which was just read. When you fast. Not if, but when. Jesus assumed his followers would fast just as he assumed they would pray just as he assumed they would be generous further there's a deep tradition of fasting in the scripture and in church history virtually every major biblical figure fasted moses samuel david esther isaiah jonah and of course jesus and it was a common and widely practiced discipline in the early church the Didache is the earliest piece of Christian literature that we possess that is not a part of the Bible. And in that piece of early Christian writing, the Didache commands Christians to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays from sunup to sundown. And for approximately 1,200 years in church history, that was a widespread and regular rhythm. Um, Further, it may not surprise you to hear that fasting is still vigorously practiced in the African church and in more Eastern traditions. My point is that the witness of the scripture, the witness of church history, and the witness of the global church all point to the fact the fasting is a powerful spiritual practice that we should adopt into our rule of life if we want to more deeply abide in Christ. That's what we mean by that phrase, rule of life. It's a structure of life, a structure of regular rhythms and practices that open up our hearts to God. And to God's love. It's it's a way we seek to do what Jesus says in John 15. to, To abide as he abides with us. Really that's been the core concern of this teaching series. How do we actually change? How do we actually grow? The gospel, our church is founded on this idea, is the power for change. Paul tells us the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes from first to last. And as we live life in Christ, as we abide in Christ, as we rest in the gospel, we believe and live more in Christ and grow more in Christ through practices. The practices are what form us. Into the people God is calling us to be. The practices are what grow us up in faith. They help us listen to and follow the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus. And without the practices, I've labored to tell us we're going to follow other voices. Voices that do not lead to our flourishing and fullness. So a rule of life is about intentionally using our bodies, our hearts, our wills, and our minds towards communion with God so that God can do what only God does, change us more and more into Jesus' own image. There's a way in which the fulfillment of, there are a way in which the fulfillment of the greatest commandment happens. There are a way we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fasting is a part of a healthy rule of life. So, why should we fast? Maybe the first sermon you've heard on fasting, I think it's the first time I've preached on fasting. Let me give you three reasons. Three reasons from these two texts of scripture, as well as some others, why fasting is a valuable part of a rule of life. First, we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. We fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. If you look at that text in red in Romans chapter 12, which is one of the crucial texts in all of the Bible for Christian living. We'll read it again. The apostle says, By the mercies of God, present or offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, there's a lot to say here. But notice that Paul says our spiritual worship is to offer our bodies, That word there, body, is the Greek word soma, from which we get the word somatic. And and it means our physical selves, our muscles and skin and bones. It's referring to calories and carbohydrates, to blood vessels and brain cells. It's our stuff. Interestingly, in verse 2, Paul says that we are to be changed by the renewing of our mind. Which allows us, he writes, to discern God's will. Now, in our particular stream of tradition, we love mind renewal, and rightly so. But we tend to undervalue offering our soma, our bodies, in spiritual worship. The church today has a weak theology of the body. We do not have a body. We are a body. Our physicality is is an essential part of our humanity, of our being made in God's image. And many essential Christian teachings, many of the doctrines that we hold dearly and closely have implications for the body. Jesus of Nazareth was raised from death in a body, praise God. And we one day, just like Jesus already has been, will be raised from physical death in a new resurrected body. The entire new world that God is going to usher in will be embodied. It will be physical. When Jesus comes back, listen, we aren't going up to heaven. Heaven is coming down to us. It will be a new heavens and a new earth. Paul writes elsewhere that our temple, our bodies are temples of God, that that we can sin against our body through sexual immorality and and much, much more. The body, it's an essential part of our humanity. It's an essential part of our spiritual lives. What we do with our bodies matters. It's also, side note, highly significant, the major cultural touchstones of our day almost all have to do with the body. Transgenderism, abortion, and so on. So, fasting is important because it is fundamentally a discipline of the body. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight calls fasting body talk. John Piper calls it whole body hungering for God. Fasting is a way you pray with your body it 's hungering for God in the way in the same way that we hunger for food, and, and that gets to the main point. the main thing fasting is about it 's offering ourselves to jesus paul 's language in romans twelve it 's really deeply drawing from Old Testament sacrificial system connotations. And he's saying that now, after the resurrection of Jesus, we no longer worship through these Old Testament rituals. Now we worship, he says, by giving our entire lives, including our bodies, over to God as spiritual service. And so, listen, fasting is a way in which we say, I love you, God. I want more of you, God. I want to experience your love for me, God. I want to abide with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be taken up with you, God. It's a way of living out what David writes in our, our call to worship this morning. Psalm sixty three. 63, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So we fast as a part of our rule not to get something from Jesus. We fast to give something to Jesus, namely our whole selves. Paul calls it worship. It's giving our love, our affection, our devotion to him. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to give our whole selves to Jesus? Look at what Paul tells us. In view of God's mercy. In other words, we offer our lives, our whole selves, body and spirit to God because he has given us his whole self in the gospel. God has shown us mercy. Unlimited and unmerited and undeserved favor and forgiveness and love and life in giving us all of Jesus, the whole Jesus. The Christian life in its entirety is a response to that mercy. It is a response to God's preeminent and preceding action. To rescue us out of sin and death and hell and bondage in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Christian life, fasting and all the other practices, they're not about earning God's favor through some sort of religious ritual and getting closer to God. No, they're about responding to God's favor with devotion and adoration and a responsive love to his preceding love. If you feel apathetic toward God, if you feel spiritually dull, if you feel spiritually numb, many of our spiritual fathers and the scriptures testify that fasting can help. Start small. But, but try it out because fasting is saying, God, I want to experience more of you. I want to be more alert to you. I want to hunger for you. I recognize that my soul needs you more even than my body needs food. Fasting is a way we offer ourselves to Jesus. Secondly, fasting is a way we become more like Jesus. We fast to become more like Jesus, a part of discipleship as a follower of Christ, is living the way Jesus lived through his gospel power given us by the spirit through his grace. And it is clear that Jesus fasted. We read about that in the early parts of Matthew's gospel. He went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Don't try this at home if you're A new faster? Do that. Before the devil tempted him as he prepared for his public ministry to begin, that's Matt chapter 4. We read about him praying and fasting as he got away from his disciples to be with his Abba Father. Now, Jesus nowhere, as far as I can tell, commands fasting. You don't have to do it. You do not have to do it. As far as I can tell, it is not commanded. But he does assume it, as we see in Matthew 6. And he gives instructions for it in Matthew 6. Furthermore, he tells us that there's a reward appended to it. Verse 18, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the idea of this whole text is that when we fast, we're not to do it as some kind of like religious virtue signaling where everyone knows how holy we're trying to be, right? Don't make it obvious, Jesus is saying. Don't do it to show people how spiritual you are. Rather, you do it, as we've just seen, to offer yourself to God, to be with God, to experience God, to grow in God. And I think Christ is saying that if that is our heart, God will reward us. What is the reward? It's not a new Mercedes-Benz. God will give us more of himself. He will reveal more of his love. And as he does that, the way the gospel works is we become more like him. Fasting makes us more like Christ. One way that's apparent as we kind of process this together is that fasting is one of the best practices of self-denial that we have available to us in the Christian life. Remember what Jesus says later in Matthew's gospel. He says, if anyone would follow me Let him deny himself. Let her deny herself and take up his cross and follow me. Fasting is one of the best practices that we have to cultivate a heart of self-denial. Fasting can make us more spiritually healthy. Fasting is our soul's way of purging and purifying our person from sin. Bodily fasting sanctifies our non-bodily parts, our soul. The great church father Augustine was asked, why should we fast? And he responded by saying this, because it is sometimes necessary to check the delight of the flesh inspect to licit or allowable pleasures in order to keep it from yielding to illicit joys. Now, I think Augustine's quote is super relevant for our age. Think about this with me, okay? We live in a world where the vast majority of us and the vast majority of everyone we know can basically eat or drink anything we want at any time we want. Uh, And in that kind of world, you know what's really hard? Self-denial. Self-denial is super challenging when you can literally pull out your phone click an image and an app opens that will deliver whatever you want, for the most part, to your house within like 30 minutes. It's crazy. You don't even have to get in your car anymore. We can eat what we want at our fingertips. And so refraining from food, fasting, and practicing self-denial, among other things, makes us more like Jesus by showing us what really controls us. Richard Foster put it this way, quote, Fasting reveals the things that control us. It teaches us so much about ourselves, our unhealthy relationship to food, how weak we are, how much we need pleasure to be happy, how far we are from God. So fasting is a way we use our body in our fight against the flesh. That's why, by the way, fasting is hard. (laughs) It's hard, especially at the very beginning. I've been fasting a little bit for the last couple of weeks, and my wife will tell you, it's not been great for me. It's hard. Uh, I'm a little irritable and cranky. And uh, because what you're doing really is, is you're picking a fight with your body. You're picking a fight with your own body. But the script, thank you, Kevin, for the laugh. The scriptures tell us, that's why we pay him the big bucks. He laughs at my bad preacher jokes. The scriptures, I think, lead us to the the, thing, the sense that that sort of discipline is actually what's going to lead to freedom. That's what's going to, to lead to release of being bound by what John in 1 John 2 calls the desires of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. But again, it's crucial to understand that I'm not saying this. Listen, I am not saying this. We become more like Jesus by fasting and exercising our willpower So that we can overcome the flesh and overcome temptation. Okay, the entire point of fasting is to show you how weak the willpower is. (laughs) That's the whole point. Fasting is us opening up our lives to Jesus and inviting the Spirit's power into our lives to do what we can't do by our own willpower. That's why it's not just a practice for physical fitness, although there are multiple side benefits physically and mentally to fasting. It's a spiritual rhythm. John Mark Comer puts it like this. He says, practices are how we do what we can do. Open our mind and body to God so that the spirit of God can do what we cannot do. Break the chains of sin. When you can't overcome a sin as a follower of Jesus Christ because it's outside the range of your willpower, here's what you can do. You can offer your body to God and have him set you free. So practically, practically, try this. Um, in the first thousand years of church writings, uh, there, there came to be known as what, what are called the seven deadly sins. How many of you have heard of the seven deadly sins? Now, that's nowhere in the Bible. There's no list of here's the most deadly sins. But it is actually quite biblical and helpful. And in virtually every list of the ancient church, of seven deadly sins. Do you know what sin is listed first? Gluttony. Not pride, interestingly enough. Gluttony. Why? Because theologians have long said that an undisciplined appetite has a domino effect over all of our life. There's a, a, a special connection between gluttony and sexual immorality. These things rise and fall together together. And so let me just put this to you. If you're struggling with gluttony, and parentheses, if you have particular food issues or body issues that require spiritual therapy, counseling, et cetera, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? Parentheses closed. If you're struggling with gluttony, misusing food, misusing alcohol, misusing sugar, or with sexual immorality, pornography, et cetera, How's willpower working for you? I suggest you try fasting. Offer yourself to God in your body to become more like Jesus by his spirit and see if God will meet you. If he will give you the strength that you can't muster up on your own. Fasting is a way, mysteriously, we can become more like Christ by his grace. We fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. We fast to become more like Jesus. Last, okay? We fast to amplify our prayers to Jesus. In May of 1940, World War II is breaking out. And the Nazis are overrunning the French forces in northern France. And 300 plus thousand allied troops are retreating from Nazi advances and are trapped on the beach of a little village called Dunkirk. And there's very little hope of rescue in time. And Winston Churchill, the prime minister of England, is gearing up, really, for the annihilation of the British Army, which is the last defense of England against the Third Reich and against their blitzkrieg. And and so on Friday, May 24th, out of nowhere, Hitler issues a, a baffling order to his tank generals to stop the assault. So German, the German army stops 10 miles away from Dunkirk, and then the city is enveloped in this weird mist that's a mix of, of fog and smoke, and the German air force can't bomb the, the troops who are like sitting ducks on the beach. And then even more strangely, the English Channel, which is famous for its churning waters and fastly blowing winds, is calm for three days. Historians said it was like bathwater, which allowed hundreds of small civilian boats to cross the channel and rescue the troops under the cover of fog. Now, that story was made famous in Christopher Nolan's recent film. Some of you saw it, Dunkirk. Good movie, by the way. But that generation didn't call it Dunkirk. They called it the miracle of Dunkirk. Why? On the exact same day that Hitler stopped his army's advance, King George called for a national day of prayer and fasting. And you can Google it and see thousands and thousands of people lined up outside of Westminster Abbey trying to get in in London, to pray and plead for God's mercy. And just hours after George called for prayer and fasting, Hitler ordered his tank division to stop. And for the next three days, all of the troops were saved, which arguably saved England. Now, is that a miracle or is that coincidence? Was it God's response to prayer and fasting or just really bad strategy by the German army? It's hard to know for sure, but here's what I do know. All through the scripture, prayer and fasting go together. And when you combine them, it's like a chemical reaction that amplifies the power of prayer. Fasting amplifies our prayers to Jesus. Fasting and prayer, as far as I can tell, almost always go together in the Bible. That's one reason why fasting is often appropriate for you in in times in your life when you're seeking to discern God's will and, and hear God's voice in a particular way. We see that in the Bible all the time. Just as one example, in Acts, the story of the early church, chapter 13, you can read there in verses 1, 2, and 3 about the church in Antioch and... You can read that they celebrate in worship through prayer and fasting and the Holy Spirit tells them to send Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey. And so you read that they listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And again, in verse three of Acts 13, they pray and they fast and they send those two men out on their journey to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Fasting helps us hear God more clearly. It helps us to be more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit Listen, I'm a novice faster, but my own very limited experience of fasting has taught me this a little bit. Because one thing that happens when you fast is you just feel so much more spiritually alert um, and attuned. Partly, this is not non-spiritual, because your body... It's not, you know, sort of numbed by the huge lunch you just ate of Mexican food. <laughs> There's a reason why when I, like, do my deepest work, I do it in the morning after a light breakfast and not at 8 p.m. after I've had a glass of wine or at 2 p.m. when I just ate at El Chaparral and got to take a nap because I can't focus on anything. Fasting helps our bodies attune and be sensitive to the promptings and leadings of God's spirit as we study God's word. There's a reason why our bodies and our souls are united. So the Bible has examples of not just fasting to discern God's will, but also to move God's heart. To move God's heart. To answer our prayer. You Calvinists are going to get mad at me. I don't care. Come on, bring it. Bring it on, Calvinists. Bad Calvinists, by the way, if you don't agree with this. Uh, read the story of Esther. Read the story of Daniel. All kinds of examples in the Bible. But to me, the most powerful example is Jonah. Okay? After the famous part, the fish spits Jonah out. He does end up back in Nineveh. And he gets up and he goes and he preaches to these Ninevites. Wicked city. And he says, hey, in 40 days, God's going to wipe every single one of you out. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. And then in verse 5, we read that the Ninevites, these Gentile pagan Ninevites, start praying and fasting. And, and we read in verse 5, uh, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And they all pray. And Jonah 3, 9 says, they say, who knows, maybe God will turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish and then we read, Jonah 3.10, When God saw what they did, He how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, here's the thing. The English translation there doesn't pick up the play on words in Hebrew. There's a Hebrew word there used twice. It's the verb naham, which means to repent. And really what it says in translating verse 10 is that when God saw that the people repented, God repented. When God saw that the people nahamed, God nahamed. This text and many others in the Bible show us that when we really seek God with all of who we are and demonstrate that with prayer and fasting, God finds value in that. And this is somewhat mysterious, but it fundamentally teaches us that God is relational. Is God sovereign? Yes. Has God foreordained whatsoever comes to pass? Yes. Does God listen to our prayers and do things that would not happen if you had not prayed it? Yes. Those are all true. Prayer and fasting take us deeper into union with God. And so the end goal of fasting, and really the end goal of all the spiritual practices that cultivate a rule of life, is not to get what we want from God, it's to get God is to share in his life. That's the best possible thing for us. It's what we were all made for. If you need God, and you do, fasting as a part of your rule is a valuable practice.